Hello, and welcome to Driverless. I'm your host, Zach Adams. Today's episode is an interview I did with Frank Ramos on DRI's podcast, A Conversation With. The interview originally aired on April 23rd, and in it, Frank and I discussed all things related to autonomous vehicles in my legal practice. This podcast was a blast to record with Frank and everyone at DRI, and I highly recommend that you check out their podcast for great interviews with other interesting lawyers. But for now, let's get rolling onto today's episode of Driverless. I'm your host, Frank Ramos, and I welcome you to DRI's podcast series titled The Conversation With, where in each episode I speak to our DRI members about the practice, their careers, and themselves. We don't offer our guests any questions in advance because we have no pre-planned questions. Think of it as lawyers striking up a conversation at a cocktail party. This isn't an interview. This is just people talking about what matters to us. If it matters to us, we hope it will matter to you. Our guest in this episode is Zach Adams. Zach is with Tucker Ellis in Cleveland, Ohio, where he was named as one of Crane's Cleveland businesses 20 in their 20s in 2018. Zach's practice focuses on litigating cases with claims ranging from product liability to business torts and disputes. Zach, welcome to our show. Thanks, Frank. Really excited to be here. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice for our audience? Sure. Uh, well, kind of like what you were saying, uh, my day job is that I'm a litigation associate here at the Cleveland office of Tucker Ellis. And I work on a whole bunch of different cases, ranging from products cases to business disputes and everything in between. Um, and then my side gig is that I host Driverless, which is a podcast uh, that we put on here at Tucker Ellis. And that focuses on the legal issues in the autonomous vehicle and artificial intelligence space. So between the two, I'm pretty busy. And then uh, whenever I'm not doing that, I try and just kind of enjoy the city and get out and uh, socialize and all the other great things that uh, lawyers do. And what was the origin of your podcast? How did that come about? Yeah, that's it's, it's a pretty funny story, actually. It, uh, it started with just kind of myself and some of the regularly occurring guests like uh, Jay, John Fesco, Todd Northman, Jay Campbell. Um, we were just kind of talking about this technology there at lunch or over drinks after work, things like that. It was just something we were into, all interested in. And then gradually we decided uh, to start writing articles. And then we were giving presentations. Um, and we eventually decided that maybe we should start recording the conversations we were having and broadcasting them just in an attempt to provide some semblance of guidance or you know, information uh, to people that were either directly involved in the industries or for people that were just kind of curious about some of these issues. And then following the launch of the podcast, uh, we got a pretty great response from our listeners and we started seeing subscribers grow. And so we've just kind of been putting out more content ever since. And it's been just a really great way to, you know, kind of engage with the people that care about this stuff in something that's, I guess, a little more novel than previous channels like writing articles or, you know, giving webinars, things like that. And how long has the podcast been live now? I think we launched the first week of November, or maybe it was the last week of October, but around late 2018. So I think we're coming up on uh, about six months. Oh, that's great. Congratulations. Congratulations. So what type of guests have you had and how do you go out and find guests on that very interesting topic about sort of the future of the practice and driverless vehicles and autonomous vehicles and so forth? Yeah. So at the beginning, it was really interesting. We just kind of used connections that uh, some of us had had. So we actually had a um, summer associate here who had pre one of her friends worked at Smart Columbus down in Columbus, Ohio. And 
through that connection, we uh, were able to interview Mark Patton, who's uh, vice president down there. He's really engaged, not just with this technology, um, but he's got a really interesting story. He worked in Silicon Valley for a long time, and now he's engaging with kind of the autonomous vehicles, and he's also working to make this technology more accessible and more sought after in communities like Columbus, Ohio, where they've got all kinds of um, different uh, avenues to get people not only to become more comfortable with the technology, but also to uh, kind of get excited about it and get excited for the future. And then we've also had some professors that um, we've just kind of reached out to and been like, hey, is this something you'd be interested in? And, and their response has always been really great. And they're really excited, I think, because it's usually something that they're really passionate about. They've been writing about and to have a law firm or lawyers that are actually practicing kind of contact them and be like, we're really excited about this too. I think it kind of gives us all a chance to nerd out a little bit and just kind of talk about, um, you know, what we see is the development of not just this technology, but also how that'll change uh, the way we practice law. And then most recently we actually had two consultants, uh, Kristen and Mo from uh, Thirdware, and we just kind of talked about how they're working with companies to make this technology not just um, more common, you know, ready for kind of the everyday person to experience it, but also how they can make it profitable. And one of the most interesting things we saw in that, or we talked about in that episode, was that a lot of these companies feel like their investment in this space hasn't been directly translating to higher profits or more revenue, uh, but that consultants like Kristen, like Mo, are working with them to make sure that they find a way to realize uh, not just the technology for the sake of the technology, but also obviously in order to help them kind of boost up their bottom line. And how many years away are we, or maybe it's decades, where we're going to see regularly self-driving vehicles in the highways and streets? That's a million-dollar question, Frank. <laughs> uh, if I had the answer, I think I, uh, I might be getting out of the practice of law and, and getting into something else. But I think that, and again, this is just kind of my best guess from being involved in this space, I think we're comfortably, uh, within the next decade, I think we'll be to a point where we have certain situations that um, feel completely self-driving. I, I don't know, I mean, it could be multiple decades and probably will be multiple decades before we're in cars that don't have steering wheels that can back us out of our driveways, take us to our location and drop us off. Um, the first mile, last mile problem is a real issue in this tech in, in this kind of industry. Um, but I do think for the way we drive now compared to the way we'll be driving, you know, in the next decade, I think it'll feel functionally like we do have self-driving cars. I think it'll be, you know, you'll pull out of your driveway, you'll start driving, and then you'll click a button until it'll take you to, you know, your office. Or you'll be uh, kind of coming home and you'll call your car, your car will come pick you up at the curb, you'll jump in it, it'll drive you, and then once you get to your, you know, side street, or maybe once you're leaving the highway, then you'll park yourself. So. I mean, the technology we see right now already kind of, you're seeing a lot of it can handle um, most situations on the highways. But again, it is that problem of, you know, parking, dealing with um, some of these back roads that maybe don't have great signage, things like that, that's going to really be the impediment towards a totally autonomous vehicle, uh, replacing kind of the cars we drive now. And what are the discussions being had when we do reach the point where we're completely autonomous and so many careers uh, like truck drivers and cab drivers and Uber drivers, where do all those people go in our economy? Yeah, I think that's actually a really important uh, topic. And, and it's like any other shift, right? I mean, 
before cars, people would have said, well, what about the buggy drivers? What about, I mean, the people that ran stables? What about the people that were in the horseshoe business? Uh, it's like anything else. I mean, society progresses and those people will find new jobs. They'll find new uh, traits to get involved in. And so while certainly that's an issue and something that I think people have to be conscious of in this space, uh, our society's evolved over time and, and will continue to progress. And I don't think that um, that'll be enough of an impediment to stop the technology, just worrying about kind of what jobs are being um, disposed of and things like that. Because as we found, uh, the human race is very adept at finding new ways to give value back to the, to the world around it. So I think we'll be all right. And where do you see litigation going in this area? Yeah, that's something I'm really interested in. Obviously, as a litigator and as someone who's a fan of all this technology, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think one of the things we're going to see is we're going to see less uh, motor vehicle accidents that are litigated you know, the way they are today, where it's negligent claims, tort claims, things like that. I think we're going to see more claims that are akin to products cases. Uh, I think one of the comparisons that we've found is, is really analogous is kind of almost like a medical device claim. Um, so you're going to have more of defective product or um, negligent or you know, defective design, things like that, instead of the traditional negligence claims and, and those types. And, and then obviously, I think, I mean, every phase of litigation is going to look different. So fact discovery is going to look totally different. Instead of having situations where we have a he said, she said, based on deposition testimony, we're going to have a ton of data that these vehicles will just kind of give us. Uh, camera, you know, uh, videos, obviously from the camera, uh, radar information, LIDAR information, things like that, to the point where um, eventually, you know, we won't need accident reconstruction experts. Um, we may need the other experts, right? Experts to help us uh, understand kind of the data that's being pulled from these cars and understand uh, how these cars react to different situations and why they're designed that way. But I really think this is going to take a lot of the guesswork out of the litigation now. And I think that'll kind of serve, um, you know, the interest of justice really nicely. So uh, it's, it's pretty exciting. And uh, I think it's going to be, it's going to have a dramatic change on how the litigation uh, is handled whenever cars get in accidents. And the additional data is great for our litigators, but from a privacy standpoint, I'm sure there's some concerns about people having all that information available to third parties, what's being discussed to ensure that that information doesn't get leaked in, uh, unintentionally? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, those are some really intense discussions, right? You know, there are some of these vehicles already that use a lot of this technology. And I think one of the interesting pull points is, um, if I buy a car that's an autonomous vehicle, okay, let's say that, that kind of car existed today, a car that I could just get in and it could take me wherever I wanted. If I buy that car, do I own all the information on that car or does the car manufacturer? Um, these cars are all linked together. They use, um, obviously we're seeing even with cars like Tesla, they, they can push their updates over the air. So these cars are obviously linked to the manufacturer in some sense uh, throughout their lifetime. And we want that. We want a manufacturer to be able to push out updates. We want to be able to get much like our phones, software updates that help with different bugs or help with fixes, things like that. But the you know, pull to that is, well, then these manufacturers are also going to have access to all that data. And do we want our uh, manufacturers to be able to kind of uh, pull that data whenever they feel like it? And, and again, there will have to be laws put in place and things like that. But I think that's certainly something that um, is a concern that really is valid. How, how do we make sure that the individual still retains some semblance of privacy or, you know, 
so that it's not just if I'm a car manufacturer, all those cars are all kind of my eyes in the sky or eyes on the road, rather. Uh, I think that'll be really interesting. I think you're going to see a lot of advocacy on both sides, um, much like you did, you know, beginning of the Internet age. Yeah, I imagine there's a number of Fourth Amendment issues where I guess just recently it was revealed that Amazon was sort of listening in our conversations with Alexa. Um, and, you know, they claim uh, that even if something is being done illegally, that's not being reported to the authorities. But I assume it would be a similar situation in one's vehicle. Well, that's absolutely right. And I mean, yeah, you know, we don't even have to get too, too uh, nefarious to think about a situation where if these cars are constantly being monitored by manufacturers, what if I'm going, what if I'm speeding? Does the manufacturer have some duty to notify the police that, hey, Zach Adams, he, he goes over the speed limit pretty much every time he drives. <laughs> and I mean, like, I, that's, I don't know about you, but that's a scary situation for me to be in. I don't know that I want to be uh, beholden to the speed limit in a way that compromises my ability or I'm running five minutes behind to maybe go five over or something like that or maybe more, right? Right, right. And, and you mentioned uh, individuals sort of changing their career paths because of the technology. I assume that's also similar to lawyers. Now that you have these autonomous vehicles that are less inclined to get into accidents because they don't have the human factors involved, uh, a lot of attorneys in that field are going to have to redefine themselves. What, what advice do you have for attorneys that are in sort of areas that may uh, suffer a huge shakeup because of changes in technology? Uh, start adapting now. I think the idea that this wouldn't drastically change how these cases are litigated or even how they're settled, mediated, whatever, uh, it's just kind of silly, right? It's like with anything else. I mean, you can either be, you can put your head down in the sand and say, you know, that's not going to affect me, whatever. Uh, but, but the truth is, it really, it's going to. And so if you start adapting now, you could kind of have the best of both worlds, right? You can have your eye towards the future and say, I've kind of got a handle on this technology. I kind of understand how it works. But also I've got the experience of, I've been doing these cases uh, for however many years, or I have so much experience doing this and kind of be uh, a dual threat. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to do is position ourselves as we're really good trial lawyers, but we also understand this technology. We also understand the issues that this industry is facing. And so we're going to hopefully be able there to help our clients kind of navigate that in a way that's proactive instead of reactive. And, you know, let's fast forward 10 years and assuming we're representing uh, a driver in an automatic vehicle uh, where either one or both vehicles have this technology. How do you see that case being defended? Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting, right? Um, because, I mean, if both cars are autonomous, then it gets really interesting because then it's whose design is better, right? Right. Um, and and that's, that's obviously interesting. Or is it one of these cars failed to perform as it was designed. And that's another thing that's going to be interesting is, will these cars be able to tell us, much like with your computer, whenever you get a, you know, if you're trying to load a file and you get the, either the pinwheel on a Mac or the not responding on a PC, are these cars going to be able to tell us that, hey, Zach's autonomous car, uh, it just forgot to recognize or not forget, but it didn't recognize the brake lights on the car in front of it. And so that's why there was a fender bender or it didn't recognize the yield. Is it going to kind of spit that out and let us know? Probably not. I mean, these, these neural networks that these cars run on are a little more ambiguous than that. They don't have those kind of if-then rules that defined a lot of the programming for it. Um, but I think defending those cases is going to be kind of a multifaceted approach. Like anything else, you're going to have to look at, did our technology perform as it was expected? If it did, then was the technology as it was designed effective? So did we, did we kind of have a blind spot while we were designing it? 
if not, then I think you just kind of do what we do now and you say, listen, this car performed exactly as, ex as it was expected to. We stand behind the design of it and you know, we either think it was the other car that performed uh, defectively or we think that here were the factors that got involved that kind of uh, maybe led the car to make a decision that it shouldn't have. And, and then it gets into a liability assessment of maybe this is a case where our car did perform properly. We did have it spec properly. But by, you know, a uh, freak of nature accident, uh, it did something that um, it wasn't expected to, or it did something that it was expected to, but in a way that we wouldn't have wanted it to if we could. And then that's a situation where not only do you need to deal with that case, um, but you also need to then go back to the drawing board and back to the engineers and think, how can we improve this? And that's something that this technology has that I think is really, really important is that it's very iterative in the sense that it's constantly improving. And so the idea that we can get in a car and expect it to take us anywhere, I mean, there are cars now that certainly have those, that functionality. The delay or the waiting process of getting to the point where those cars are everywhere is these cars continue to improve. At what point will they hit a threshold where we feel comfortable saying, I'm confident this car is 100% you know, better than a human driver or something like that. And I think that'll be the kind of inflection point where people say, okay, I'm... I'm willing to take a chance with this autonomous car, knowing that it, you know it's it's only going to get better from here on out because it's already you know exponentially better of a driver than I am. And I guess the apex is where all the vehicles are autonomous and they're all interacting not with them with the driver but with the, with each other, and that the accident rate is as close to zero as possible. Absolutely, vision zero. You keep hearing it. Everyone's got a, a fun way of. Phrasing it right, vision zero or goal zero or you know, whatever, uh, and I think that's absolutely right, Frank. I think the goal is eventually these vehicles communicate with themselves. With, I mean, the ideas uh, that are out there are aspirational, but also attainable. I mean, the idea that at some point, maybe my kids, if I have them someday, uh, will get in a car and they won't even know what a, a traffic light is because. In a perfect world, traffic lights are just kind of an inefficiency that we wouldn't have to deal with. Uh, these cars would communicate with each other in such a way that it would know exactly who's going through an intersection and when. And so you would never have a traffic light because all that really does is bottleneck traffic kind of on a timer system uh, instead of, you know, on a supply and demand system, which is much more economical and efficient. So, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right that the goal is to hit a point where there's zero accidents and then we start to see um, you know, economies of scale as this technology increases where all of a sudden we don't have these huge parking lots, uh, you know, in cities. We don't have to worry about parking decks because your car will drive you to your location, drop you off, and then go park itself. So, I mean, you're going to see urban areas that are now cluttered with these huge parking lots or, you know, these um, huge high-rise buildings that have to worry about having kind of the basement dug out so that, you know, it's kind of parking. All that's going to go away and be repurposed because we'll be able to send these cars half an hour out of the city to go park themselves if we want to. Uh, and, and then you think about kind of the age-old experience of walking to your car in the rain or uh, right now I'm looking out the window in Cleveland and uh, we just got done with a little shower and I had to walk in this morning rain with my umbrella and all that. It's like, well, eventually I won't have to. I'll just have my car drop me off and I can go park itself in the rain, right? Right, right. <laughs> and, and where's insurance in all this in terms of where, how have they evolved? Obviously, the policies they'll be running uh, once this happens will be very different than the ones they're writing now. Yeah, well, and that's another million-dollar question, Frank. I think they are as involved in this space 
as you would assume they would be, and they're kind of waiting to see how this shakes out. I don't know any insurers that have taken strong positions as to uh, where their stance is. Again, you have to remember, um, here there's a situation conceivably where me as a owner of a car, I may not own insurance, right? Because the car would be driving itself. I wouldn't be driving it. Why would I be liable for what the car did? Um, but there is situations where, yeah, I mean, manufacturers could create cars where there is a need for an individual to own insurance because maybe I haven't updated my uh, software or maybe I haven't performed the routine maintenance that my manufacturer wants. So um, insurers are definitely waiting to see what's going to happen. Uh, I think there is some excitement and, and some trepidation, right? Because they don't know how this is going to shake out. But one thing you also have to keep in mind is uh, these cars are expensive and, and, as the technology becomes more proliferated, that expense will condense and get smaller. But right now, if you're insuring uh, one of these cars, it's you're not insuring the the Honda Civic yeah, or you know the Toyota Camry. You're insuring a Bentley, basically. Um, whatever you think about all the technology that's stacked in these cars, all the software that's in these cars, and so those little fender benders that may cost a couple hundred now, uh, if you knock out some sensors and cameras, those may cost you know twenty, thirty grand. And so insurers are sitting there trying to figure out their cost models to make sure that, you know, like any good business, they're still profitable and they're able to maintain the margins they've become accustomed to. Um, so I think they're very plugged in. I think they're very anxious and they're kind of waiting to see how this is going to shake out. But uh, I don't think there's any solid answers just yet. And, and other than increasing possible product cases, what are the types of litigation do you see on the horizon related to these types of vehicles? Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of IP litigation, obviously. Um, and that's something that we're considering as well is um, obviously a bunch of different companies are in this space right now and they're all kind of coming at it from different ways, not just hardware. You know, some companies use LIDAR, whereas other companies rely solely on cameras and radar. Um, so there are companies coming at it from multiple different angles technologically with the hardware, but they're also coming at it from different angles with the software. Um, like I was talking a little bit earlier about uh, these neural networks can be designed in different ways, but they're all trained. Um, like neural network, it's almost, it's a technological equivalent of a human brain in the sense that it learns from its mistakes. It learns from the conditions you put it in and kind of the um, directions you give it. So all these companies are developing their own neural network. And one of the litigations that'll be fascinating is at some point will there be a standard equivalent to uh, what we see with um, aviation, where it, you, know, you can't put out an autonomous vehicle that doesn't meet these requirements, um, and whatever that is, right, technologically with the software or technologically with the uh, hardware. So it, it'll be interesting to see how the federal government weighs in on that, and then do we get into preemption claims? Because right now it's kind of all on the states, and that's why you see um, states like Arizona and California, for other reasons, uh, climate obviously helps, and it's also pretty easy to recruit people to come hang out in those areas while they're <laughs> in these cars. But, uh, you know, the state, those states were kind of open arm. Yeah. Bring out your cars here. Let's test them. Let's like, how can we help? Let us be involved. Um, but then with the accident we saw in Tempe, uh, that obviously kind of caused a lot more, uh, anxiety and trepidation from the states to kind of pull back and be like, Whoa, 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 maybe this isn't so great. Maybe we don't want, uh, our citizens to kind of, um, be part of these experiments, even if they don't want to be. And so I think the, the IP sense and then kind of the federal legislation, um, and obviously there's a bunch of lobbying going on for this. Those are the other interesting areas to watch um, outside of just litigation. 
And is the technology more advanced in the U.S. and other countries, or is it where is it really being advanced the most? Uh, yeah, I mean that's tough because now what we're dealing with are these corporations by and large that are so massive that they span you know, the world. Um, so I wouldn't say that um, there's like one. I mean, China's done a ton with this technology. Uh, we saw China's technology. I believe it was in. Sweden or Norway, where there's, you know, areas where you're already seeing, um, I mean, advancement and enforcement from the government and kind of uh, encouragement from the government beyond what we see in the U.S. Um, so I don't know that the technology specifically is best in any one point, but I do know other countries are definitely uh, encouraging the technology and encouraging the, encouraging the innovation in this field more than the U.S. And I think one of the problems with the U.S. Uh, is we really haven't gotten federal uh, legislation on this yet. And there've been a couple of times where they've contemplated such actions and they've kind of looked at, but I think uh, the government's taking kind of a wait and see approach. And a lot of that's because uh, through no fault of their own, a lot of our legislators, this isn't something they're comfortable with. They don't know that much about it. I mean, it kind of goes back to, uh, I think about the Facebook hearings with uh, Mark Zuckerberg and as someone who had Facebook and you know, has been on Facebook, I found some of the questions a little, a little funny, right? It was kind of, you know, it was a little hilarious for I think most of us to see some of these legislators really struggling with what exactly Facebook was or what exactly Facebook does compared to, you know, my my godson's a twelve year old boy and like he doesn't know anything. I mean, he doesn't know a world without Facebook. So uh, I think our legislators are still struggling to get their arms around this technology and, and kind of the far-reaching uh, implications of it, and they're struggling just to keep pace and, and they're lagging behind with the innovation that's occurring. Uh, so I think that there are other countries that have certainly promoted this technology more. They're certainly more, um, they're creating environments that are more conducive towards innovation, but I don't know that the technology itself is better in any place uh, over the other. And what other applications are being used for this technology outside of vehicles? Uh, well, so, I mean, it's really interesting. Um, and you're seeing this even, one of the ones I, I love to talk about is uh, farm equipment. Because we don't really think about farming anymore. We're, you know, a developed society. We don't think uh, how, how are farmers using computers, things like that, you know. But farmers are actually incredibly sophisticated. In fact, they've been using autonomous technology for, you know, over a decade where they're able to kind of set these, um, like, little, it's, it's not a satellite, but it's a little device that kind of transmits a, area or a radius to the actual tractor or the, um, you know, the machine that's going to plant seeds, things like that. And that machine's unable to navigate itself within those parameters uh, without human intervention. And we're even seeing this with uh, kind of continuing on high little farming tangent. We're seeing this as the technology where um, devices are being manufactured and products are being manufactured that can look at a um, piece of vegetation and decide if it's a dead piece of vegetation, if it's alive and needs fertilizer, or if it's a weed. And then based on that reaction, it can either pull it out, uh, fertilize it, or it can uh, put on um, pesticide. You know, so we're seeing development. These neural networks are really going to be a huge part of kind of the progress, I think, of, I mean, society. So it's not just about cars. The car part's just fun to think about uh, because there are so many inherently cool ideas being promulgated based on the idea that I won't have to drive my car. Uh, and, and that's so, 
it's a natural touch point. It's a naturally exciting point of the technology. But um, these neural networks and the artificial intelligence that you know, supports them is going to change our lives in a bunch of different ways. And for folks who want to learn more about autonomous cars and the industry and technology, what do you recommend they read or watch? Uh, you know, selfishly, I would plug, uh, we've got a great Twitter handle. It's run uh, by our department here. It's at underscore driverless on Twitter. Uh, and, and that's been, a, that's a great resource, just kind of a warehouse for everything that's going on in the industry and the laws around it. But also I think it's like anything else. I mean, you just gotta, you gotta seek out that information. And so um, different websites, TechCrunch, The Verge, places like that are great sources of this information. Obviously the old school car magazines, Motor Trend, places like that, also great places. But uh, selfishly, I think we're, we're the best in the business at kind of condensing <laughs> this technology in an accessible way. So uh, I don't know if that's fair to say, but uh, I stand behind it. And if there's a, a young lawyer or any lawyer who's listening in and think to themselves, I'd like to start my own podcast, what advice do you have for him or her? <laughs> um, that's a great question, Frank. I think my advice would be don't have to underestimate the, uh, the time and effort that goes into it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> your show your show is great. It's well produced. Uh, so I, I know I don't have to tell you, but I mean, the time we spent doing everything from picking out the graphics to picking out the music to uh, dealing with the equipment to learning how to best record, uh, things like that. Um, don't underestimate the, uh, the, the time that goes into it, but I will say it's been tremendously rewarding and it's been really cool to uh, engage with an audience that we otherwise wouldn't be able to reach because, you know, the days of, I think, picking up the legal periodical that's sent to your office uh, every other month or the days of going through the online blogs every day are, are kind of behind us. So it's been really awesome to see uh, us trying something new and it working and being able to engage with people we otherwise wouldn't be able to reach simply by trying a medium that uh, isn't oversaturated and that is really accessible to the point where people want more of it. Um, and so I think that it, it's doable. Uh, I would encourage more people to do it. You can reach out to me if you're interested. I, I love talking to people about this stuff. And uh, yeah, I think that between your podcast, our podcast, and some of the other legal podcasts out there, I think... Uh, uh, you know, I dare say that maybe the legal profession started to get on the cutting edge. Who knows? And what's the easiest way to find your podcast online? Uh, we're available on, you know, uh, Apple Podcasts and then also um, SoundCloud. And, and I'd say the easiest way is just um, TuckerEllis.com backslash driverless. Uh, and I think that's it's got all of our episodes, got links to different articles, things like that. And so that's definitely the easiest place to find us and get in touch with us if uh, you want to talk further. All right, great. Well, Zach, thanks for joining us today. And thanks to all of you for listening. We ask that you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And please listen to future episodes where I'll speak with other DRI members about what matters to them. As a reminder, be sure to update your membership profile, renew your DRI membership, or join DRI today. I'll let my son Michael play us out. Until next time, I'm Frank Ramos, and this is a conversation with